With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Michael Berry, and welcome to our podcast. This commercial-free audio is made possible by top tax defenders, great folks who also sponsor and support our show. If you need help with the IRS, start at toptaxdefenders.com. It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. Capitol Hill, the names Sally Yates and Jim Clapper probably mean a lot to a number of you, but whether they are familiar to you or not, we're going to catch you up on exactly what happened. But before we do that, I called my financial advisor, as I often do, and asked him to give me an update on stock portfolios because these political issues come and go But the interesting question for a lot of people is, what's going on in my back pocket? What's going on in my personal portfolio? Some of our listeners are multimillionaires, and most of our listeners are not. But most of our listeners are taking great pains to provide for their own retirement, for your own retirement, for your financial security. I take the case of my dad, who worked for 40 years as an operator and maintenance man at a chemical plant, DuPont, in Orange, where I grew up. And he never made a lot of money, but what he was very good at doing, in fact, I wish I was as good as he is, is he saved. He did not spend. We didn't go out to dinners. He didn't buy new trucks. He didn't buy new vehicles. He didn't buy new clothes. We didn't take extravagant trips. He was very, very frugal because he didn't believe that Social Security would be there for him in his retirement. He didn't believe that the government would provide for him. And he's been a severe diabetic since the time he was 19. So for him, he took every dollar he had and put it into the company's pension and 401k plan, as a lot of people do. A lot of you put aside a certain amount of money every single month to provide for your retirement. Well, be interesting to know what that money has done since Donald Trump became president. The Dow Jones closed up today, five, at 21,012. These are amazing numbers. Now, for some people, that might not mean anything to you, that you may not recognize how that affects your life. But for most of you, it does. 
The S&P 500 closed flat, staying at 2399 NASDAQ ended up 2 to 6102 Gold closed up almost a dollar at 1227 And WTI crude finished higher by 21 cents at 46.43. And big news coming in that the Saudis say that they will extend oil cuts to the end of 2017, maybe longer. Supply and demand. The more supply, demand remains the same, price drops. The less supply with same demand means the price increases. For a number of stocks that American shareholders, workers, teachers, insurance companies invest in are oil and gas stocks. As the price of oil increases, the value of those stocks, the profits, increase. Now, of course, there's the back-end question of what you pay at the pump for a gallon of gas. And that, of course, affects how much you travel this summer. For those of you living in Atlanta who were thinking of driving to wherever you were going to drive, do you drive up to New York? Do you drive up to D.C.? For those of you living in Portland, do you drive down to San Francisco? Or if you're in Houston, do you take that vacation, as many people do, on the Florida coast? Or do you skip it? Because the cost of gas, the increased cost of gas, were it to creep much higher, would mean that you wouldn't have the funds to do that. All of these factors are important factors to the quality of life that a lot of our listeners and a lot of Americans are experiencing, retirees and those watching their retirement funds. Your retirement funds mean a lot less to you when you're not yet in retirement. But if you're in retirement, whether or not those golden years are going to be golden, depending on how much you've put away and how long that's going to last, these are very, very important questions. I asked my... um, financial advisor. If someone had X, what is that worth today? And I'll go through what some of those numbers look like. But before we do that, I wanted to talk to one of our favorite guests, Professor Josh Blackman. He is a constitutional law professor at South Texas College of Law. And there were quite a few fireworks on Capitol Hill today. Professor Blackman, can you first start us with the importance of Sally Yates and Jim Clapper Uh, coming before a Senate committee today. Why is that important to me? Well, this is important because it goes to the heart of what President Trump knew about Russia, right? Did he know that Michael Flynn, who was his advisor for national security, had these connections with the Russians? And uh, throughout the argument today, we had something of uh, of a conflict because the Trump administration said one thing and then the uh, Yates and Clapper said something else. So there's definitely this tension between what Trump said and uh, uh, what people think. Why why is this important? Um, The reason why this is important is did Trump actually know that this guy Flynn had connections with the the Ruskies? What what did he actually know? Before we do that, Professor Josh Blackman, who is Jim Clapper? Jim Clapper is the director of national intelligence, and he supervises uh, uh, the vast intelligence community in our government. Um, and Sally Yates was the uh, uh, the basically acting attorney general in the first week of the Trump presidency. Before Jeff Sessions was confirmed, there was an Obama holdover, and she was in the office. And apparently she said that she warned the White House that this guy Flynn had connections with the Russians and that he was compromised. 
and that's important wine. Um, to the extent that uh, 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 Flynn had connections with Russians, he may have made promises or he may have disclosed any sort of information with them about our national security decision. Um, he was only there for uh, an officer a couple weeks, but it's unclear what sort of compromised materials may have been done during that period. I want to uh, – we have a minute left in this segment. Uh, can you hold with us? Of course. All right. To set the stage, uh, we have an update on Corinne Brown and her case. We have an update on the state of Texas and the tough – what's being called the toughest anti-sanctuary cities state law that has been passed across the country. It's It's been a brewing political issue in Texas that some cities have declared themselves sanctuary cities. We don't have a Democrat, not one, at the statewide level. The Republican Party has been expected to clamp down on illegal immigration to the extent that it is possible in the state of Texas. It's what the vast majority of voters want. We can argue outside of Texas, but within the state of Texas, this is a key political issue. And it was time that the Republicans do something And lo and behold, they did. We'll talk about those things. We'll talk with Professor Josh Blackman. And for those of you who are deer hunters, a crazy little story out of San Marcos, where for the first time ever, there's photographic evidence of a deer appearing to eat part of human remains. They're supposed to be herbivores. Got a good show for you. Hang tight. Coming up. Where we binge thinkers pop our tops. This is the Michael Berry Show. Professor Josh Blackman is our guest. Before we have him on, a tense exchange between Senator Ted Cruz and Sally Yates. Sally Yates, you'll recall, coming uh, a holdover from the Obama administration. And there was a tense time where she is acting attorney general before sessions could be approved. And then there were some issues regarding all of this. But this has been described at length online. Liberals are saying that Sally Yates handed it to Ted Cruz. You decide. And if an attorney general disagrees with a policy decision of the president, Mm -hmm. a policy decision that is lawful, does the attorney general have the authority to direct the Department of Justice to defy the president's order? I don't know whether the attorney general has the authority to do that or not, but I don't think it would be a good idea. And that's not what I did in this case. Well... Are you familiar with 8 U.S.C. Section 1182? Not off the top of my head, no. 
Well, it, it, it is the binding statutory authority for the executive order that you refused to implement and that led to your termination. So mm -hmm. it, it certainly is a relevant and not a terribly obscure statute. Mm -hmm. By the express text of the statute, it says, quote, whenever the president finds that the entry of any alien or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate. Would you agree that that is broad statutory authorization? I would, and I am familiar with that, and I'm also familiar with an additional provision of the INA that says no person shall receive preference or be discriminated against in issuance of a visa because of race, nationality, or place of birth. That, I believe, was promulgated after the statute that you just quoted. And that's been part of the discussion with the courts with respect to the INA, is whether this more specific statute trumps the first one that you just described. The, but my concern was not an INA concern here. It rather was a constitutional concern, whether or not this... Um, the executive order here violated the Constitution, specifically with the Establishment Clause and equal protection and due process. There is no doubt the arguments you laid out are arguments that we can expect litigants to bring, partisan litigants who disagree with the policy decision of the President. I would note on January 27, 2017, the Department of Justice issued an official legal decision, a determination by the Office of Legal Counsel, mm -hmm. that the executive order and I'll quote from the opinion, the proposed order is approved with respect to form and legality. That's a determination from OLC on January 27th that it was legal. Three days later, you determined, using your own words, that although OLC had, had opined on legality, it had not addressed whether it was, quote, wise or just. And I also, in that same directive, Senator, said that I was not convinced it was lawful. I also made the point that the office of OLC looks purely at the face of the document and, again, makes a determination as to whether there is some set of circumstances under which some portion of that EO would be enforceable, would be lawful. They, importantly, do not look outside the face of the document. And in this particular instance, particularly where we were talking about a fundamental issue of religious freedom, not the interpretation of some arcane statute, but religious freedom, it was appropriate for us to look at the intent behind the president's actions, it, and the intent is laid out a, a in his statements. Final, very, very brief question. Mm -hmm. In the over 200 years of the Department of Justice history, mm -hmm. are you aware of any instance in which the Department of Justice has formally approved the legality of a policy, and three days later, the Attorney General has directed the Department not to follow that policy and to defy that policy? I'm not, but I'm also not aware of a situation where the Office of Legal Counsel was advised not to tell the Attorney General about it until after it was over. Thank you, Ms. Yates. I, I, I would note that might be the case if there's reason to suspect partisanship. Professor Josh Blackman, what just happened? Well, Twitter, I think, as usual, is jumping over Ted Cruz for uh, 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 liberal reasons. Um, Cruz asked her, about whether the president had the authority by statute to exclude people. Um, she totally didn't answer the question. She actually said she didn't even know what that statute was. She did. Uh, instead, she was speaking about another statute, which concerns visas. There's a difference between denying someone entry 
and granting them a visa. Um, so the response that Yates gave was largely non-responsive. Um, but then Cruz asked her, I think, an even more important question. Um, has it ever happened that you know, the Justice Department approved the policy and then a couple of days later, the Attorney General decided not to defend it? And her answer was basically no. Why? Well, she said, I'm looking at Donald Trump's campaign statements and statements made by Rudy Giuliani, and this has convinced me that the policy is invalid, even though on its face it was valid. Um, this is really a stunning development. Um, the usual course when a government official doesn't want to do something is to resign. She did not resign. She basically waited to be fired. And during that period, the government failed to actually defend this order in court, which left Donald Trump in a very tough spot. He had to, as he loves to do, fire her. So, no, this is not Sally Yates totally schooling Ted Cruz. Uh, I think she was somewhat non-responsive. She had prepared answers, and she ducked the question. But, Professor, uh, isn't she, as a member of the executive branch, effectively working for Donald Trump, the the chief executive, isn't she trying to take on the role of being a member of the judiciary in determining what whether what he's done is constitutional or not when she really doesn't have that authority? She has the authority to follow the order or resign from her position, right? Well, every, um, every government official takes his oath to the Constitution, and uh, the Supreme Court does not have a monopoly on deciding what is constitutional. So if Yates decided that this order was invalid, she had one choice and one choice alone, quit resign, and let someone else make the decision for her. But her action was very selfish. She decided to stick around the job for a few days and refused to allow the agency to defend this policy. This is where she greatly erred. And that's where he was within his authority in firing her. Absolutely. So why um, are we was, still arguing over this? She, she insists she did nothing wrong. In fact, she's getting you know all these awards from these various progressive groups. Um, she did nothing brave. Uh, uh, it was only by the happenstance that the Senate took forever to confirm Jeff Sessions as attorney general that she was still in the office. In years past, the attorney generals confirmed on day number one. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Took sessions a few weeks to be confirmed. And as a result of this foot dragging, Trump issued this order without his full government in place. He didn't have all of his officers in line. And as a result, he was relying on Obama-appointed officials to uh, uh, actually defend these policies, which was simply um, not going to happen. Fair enough. I, I still don't understand why we're discussing this when it doesn't appear to still be relevant. Nobody's trying to get her her job back or make a payment to her for having been fired. So whether or not she was right to do so or not, I just don't understand the relevance other than scoring political points on both sides. But we'll take up that issue. And Sally Yates says that she warned the Trump White House about Michael Flynn. And we know about the problems with him, why that's important. Professor, you can stay with us. Of course. Professor Josh Blackman, a constitutional law professor at uh, South Texas College of Law, coming up next.
Michael Berry Show continues. the issue of Sally Yates. Today, she says she warned the White House that Michael Flynn was a blackmail risk because of his association with foreign governments. The first thing we did was to explain to Mr. McGahn that the underlying conduct that General Flynn had engaged in was problematic in and of itself. Secondly, we told him we felt like the vice president and others were entitled to know that the information that they were conveying to the American people wasn't true. And we wanted to make it really clear right out of the gate that we were not accusing Vice President Pence of knowingly providing false information to the American people. And in fact, Mr. McGahn responded back to me to let me know that anything that General Flynn would have said would have been based, excuse me, anything that Vice President Pence would have said would have been based on what General Flynn had told him. Um, we told him the third reason was is because we were concerned that the American people had been misled about the underlying conduct and what General Flynn had done. And additionally, that we weren't the only ones that knew all of this, that the Russians also knew about what General Flynn had done. And the Russians also knew that General Flynn had misled the vice president and others. Because in the media accounts, it was clear from the vice president and others that they were repeating what General Flynn had told them and that this was a problem because not only did we believe that the Russians knew this, but that they likely had proof of this information. And that created a compromise situation, a situation where the national security advisor essentially could be blackmailed by the Russians. Finally, we told them that we were giving them all of this information so that they could take action the action that they deemed appropriate. Um, I remember that Mr. McGahn asked me whether or not General Flynn should be fired, and I told him that that really wasn't our call, that was up to them, but that we were giving them this information so that they could take action. Professor Josh Blackman, South Texas College of Law, what do you make of this? Why is this important? The reason why it's important is if there hadn't been leaks uh, about Flynn, he may still be employed. And if he was still employed, it could be the fact that the Russians could blackmail the head of our U.S. intelligence system. That's a very serious threat. And the related concern is that the Trump administration knew that Flynn could have been blackmailed, and they didn't take the appropriate steps to remove him from office until this got leaked to the public. Um, this morning, Donald got on Twitter and was saying, ask Gates who leaked this and who leaked that. Um, Yates denied leaking it, and you know who knows who put it to the newspapers. But the fact is, until this was leaked, uh, there was no movement to actually get rid of him. Whether it should have been leaked or not, whether that leads to the greater good, my understanding is that Vice President Pence, leaving President Trump out of this, was angry that he had been lied to by Flynn, and that it was Pence who put the hammer down and said. If this man is lying to me about who's paying him, the Turks or the Soviet or the, the Russians or 
any other foreign government. I can't go out and in good faith attest to uh, uh, the fact that he's above reproach, right? This was Pence that drove this. Exactly right, Michael. The fact of the matter is Flynn misled Pence, and this is actually when things start to come off the wheels. Um, uh, the vice president had made some public statements about, about Flynn based on what he was told, and once Pence found out that he was lied to, that became a, a ground by itself to move for firing of Flynn. Um, Flynn should have disclosed this much earlier, and the fact that he didn't uh, uh, is is very, very, very troubling for uh, the use our top security advisor. He was also a top official in the Obama administration, or he'd been right. brought in under the Obama administration. Right, and he had been promoted um, uh, since then to uh, national security advisor. So it's unclear when he was vetted for the Obama administration position if he'd had these contacts and what sort of foreign connections he had. Um, a lot of this is still coming out um, and is uh, not entirely known what, what the details are. One moment. Uh, White House confirms Obama warning on Flynn that he wasn't a fan. Obama's been trying to repair his image and saying, I told President Trump this guy's a bad guy. Listen to this. President Obama warned then-President-elect Trump against hiring Mike Flynn as his national security advisor. Why did he ignore that warning? Well, I, I, the president doesn't disclose details of meetings that he has, which in this case was an hour-long meeting. But it's true that the president made it, President Obama made it known that he wasn't exactly a fan of General Flynn's, uh, which is frankly shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that given that General Flynn had worked for President Obama was an outspoken critic of President Obama's shortcomings, specifically as it related to his lack of strategy confronting ISIS and other threats around uh, that, that were facing America. So the, the question that you have to ask yourself really is if President Obama was truly concerned about General Flynn, why didn't he suspend General Flynn's security clearance, which they had just reapproved months earlier? Additionally, why did the Obama administration let Flynn go to Russia for a paid speaking engagement and receive a fee? I mean, there were steps that they could have taken that if, they, if that was truly a concern more than just a person uh, that, that didn't had bad blood. Whether Obama behaved in the best manner or not, Professor Blackman, this doesn't look good for President Trump that he continued to stand behind him knowing some of the things that are now clear he knew, right? Yeah, this, this doesn't make Trump look good. For a period of maybe uh, a week or two, Trump knew stuff was going on. And the guy wasn't fired until this blew up in the press. Um, and this raises fair questions about Trump's loyalty to people. Um, was he so loyal to Flynn that he was willing to look past this? And if so, during this two-week period, did the Russians get any intelligence that we have? Did, did they compromise Flynn? Because he had a lot of information. And um, these hearings are not making the Trump administration look good. I mean, I've been on your show a couple of times now since uh, since January, and the very first month of the Trump administration was very chaotic. And this is one of several episodes where things were flying one after the other after the other with the travel ban, with Yates, with this and that. I think for the most part, the administration has settled into something of a calm rhythm in the last month or so. Mm -hmm. But this very first few weeks, Michael, were absolutely insane. And uh, um, fortunately now, Trump seems to be at least getting good advice. But at the beginning, he was acting rogue. Professor, can you hold with me? Of course. Let's talk about the uh, next round of judicial appointments and Donald Trump's opportunity to shape 
the American judiciary with Professor Josh Blackman coming up. The Michael Berry Show. Professor Josh Blackman, South Texas College of Law, is our guest. He's a constitutional law professor and uh, becoming something of a media celebrity, I must say. He is a uh, a guest in high demand. It was easy to get him before, but now you have to go through his agents, agents, booking, managers, agent. It's getting more and more difficult. Uh, professor, Trump just tweeted, Sally Yates said nothing but old news. Is that true? Yes. Uh, and, and for those listening home, Michael uh, Twitter messaged me 30 seconds ago going on air saying, can I call you now? <laughs> so, uh, agent my ass. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, Trump, Trump's tweet is accurate. Um, Yates didn't give us anything new. She merely repeated what she wrote in a letter before she was fired, uh, um, you know, about uh, back in January. And the stuff that she said was more or less the same stuff that was in um, uh, in these leaks in the press. So this was mostly political theater, as most hearings are. But gonna, the fact is you did confirm some stuff that was in the media that it, that is troubling. I'm going to go beyond uh, that issue, uh, beyond even legal, to a little more political come legal. Uh, Trump tweeted, no evidence of collusion with Russia and Trump. Dianne Feinstein over the weekend basically confirming the same. Is this issue done? Um, I, I doubt these things are ever done, Michael. Um, we don't know what was actually compromised during that two-week period, um, but this is more of a the cover-up is worse than the actual bad deed. You know, we've heard this since Nixon, and I think this will be used to go after Trump over and over again about the Russians. It doesn't even matter what the Russians did, even if they did nothing. Uh, the fact is that the Russians are there, and there's this you know red scare for Trump that will keep popping up over and over again. Uh, President Trump is set to appoint about 10 individuals to the judiciary. I know if anyone has reviewed those resumes and the likely uh, appoint nominees, it's you. What are your thoughts on this batch? Solid, man. These are solid judges. Um, one of the most longest-lasting impacts a president can make on the federal judiciary is through appointments to the courts. These are lifetime appointments. And the people that he's picked for uh, these 10 or so slots are excellent. You have uh, from Michigan, uh, Joan Larson. She's a Michigan Supreme Court justice. You have David Strass from uh, Minnesota. But one omission that breaks my heart, uh, Justice Don Willett, uh. our own Texas Supreme Court justice, is not on the list. The rumor, and this is the rumor, is that there's a, a lot of infighting between Senator Cornyn and Governor Abbott over whom to pick. So this is all politics is local. And um, which you know, of them wants the, will it? Neither, apparently. Um, they have their own preferred guys. This has been in the New York Times and in a couple other sources. So I'm not giving any inside information. But um, Senator Cornyn is, is backing, apparently, uh, a judge in Dallas, a very good judge, Reed O'Connor, who is an alum of my law school. And um, uh, uh, Governor Abbott is also backing one of his um, top aides, who's also a wonderful guy, uh, Andy Oldham. Uh, was one of his advisors, uh, and there are currently only two vacancies in Texas. Um, so it, it's strange that in a state with such a strong legal conservative presence that you have such talent, and there's only two spots. But uh, my hope is that sooner or later, Donnie Willett will get his way into a federal court. 
And I think uh, I think we'll be proud, but all the people Trump is about to pick are are solid. And for those people who are worried that Trump would not appoint good judges, this is a very good first list. That's a good thing. Um, Supreme Court nominee, you th- I mean, Supreme Court justice, current Supreme Court justice, most likely to step down during Donald Trump's first term. Anthony Kennedy. There have been rumors after rumors saying that Justice Kennedy has uh, served as long as he wants. I think he's been 80 years old, 81 years old, and that he may actually step down at the end of this term. Um, if that happens, we're going thermonuclear uh, because the Scalia for Gorsuch swap was somewhat of a one-to-one. Mm. If if Trump can pick someone to swap out for Kennedy um, and put on a conservative, maybe Justice Willett, who knows? Um, then we actually shift the balance of the court in a way that will stay for maybe 20, 30 years. So this is a very, very big deal. And um, if Justice Kennedy decides to retire, um, and and just for one small data point, um, Anthony Kennedy's son actually worked on the Trump transition team. So they actually have some relationships. In fact, uh, 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 Justice Kennedy invited Ivanka and her kids to the Supreme Court for an argument. So, you know, you wouldn't think that the Trumps and the Kennedys would have anything in common, but uh, apparently they have some sort of simpatico going. But Kennedy would be doing Republicans a favor by stepping down and allowing Trump that appointment, that nomination. You know, I don't think Justice Kennedy can make up for his decades of, uh, of rulings from the bench, but no. this, would, this, would, this would go a long way to helping. Fourth Circuit uh, today hearing oral arguments in the travel ban case. That's not a Muslim travel ban. It's a geographic region travel ban. Uh, what did we learn from that today? Well, you know, I think with President Clinton, his presidency boiled down to the meaning of the word is. With Trump, it boils down to the meaning of the word that. Uh, when Trump signed this ban, he said, he looked at the cameras and he said, we all know what that means. Said, What's that? The uh, ACLU says, well, that means Trump was trying to do a secret Muslim ban. And the government says, no, 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 that means he's trying to protect us from dangerous people. And so I think this case boils down to a uh, judicial Rorschach test, right? If you look at Trump's statements, is he uh, uh, trying to uh, exclude Muslims or is he trying to promote national security? And the judges in the Court of Appeals grappled with that question at some length today, right? Do we look at this case like a normal president or do you look at this case because Donald Trump is insane? And a lot of these judges seem to believe that Donald Trump is uh, unworthy of the usual form of deference that presidents ought to get because of some of the things he said. Does it really matter? I mean, what what Barack Obama said in front of one group and the accent he used and what he said in front of another group, uh, shouldn't we look at the four corners of the document and and judge it on that? Michael, that's exactly right. In fact, at some point, the judges were asking if President Clinton, right, had signed the exact same four corners, exact same document, would it have been valid? And eventually, (laughs) the lawyer for the ACLU said probably it would be valid. This is entirely based on the sort of dumb things Trump has said on Twitter, on the campaign trail. And there's frankly no precedent for looking at these external statements to override the facial policy that we have before us. Well, and when you start doing things like that, that, you know, you think of President Bush, uh, the elder, 41, saying no new taxes and then signs a tax increase. I mean, you do things on the campaign trail. You make campaign promises. But for that to enter into a legal order, an, an, an executive order, I, I find that a very troubling precedent. Um, it's beyond troubling, because if you think about it, Michael, Donald Trump is now tainted. And if every action he ever takes that affects Muslims is tainted, the courts can intervene. 
Um, imagine at one point we engage in military action against, uh, let's say, Syria, right? And then some, some crazy group files a lawsuit and says, wait a minute, this is motivated because he hates Muslims. What's what he crime. said in the campaign trail? Oh, it's a hate crime and let a court stop our bombing runs. Uh, this, is, this is Cookieville, right? This is crazy. Um, and at the, very, at the very end of the oral argument, the lawyer for the Trump administration uh, gave a warning. He said that the uh, precedent set by this case in reviewing the president's power will long transcend this debate and this constitutional moment. Right. This is not just about resisting Trump, although that's what the resistance thinks. This is setting real rules that will constrain presidents for decades to come. Professor, and I don't. Thank yeah. you for being our guest. Thank you, Michael. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Great guest. Follow him on Twitter, Josh M. Blackman. He's famous for the Fantasy SCOTUS hashtag. You can learn about it online. It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. Beware. Republicans will kill thousands, if not millions of people, according to the Democrat Party. So writes Free Beacon. House Republicans on Thursday passed the American Health Care Act, their plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. Since the House vote and in the weeks leading up to it, Democrat lawmakers asserted that the bill will result in the deaths of thousands of Americans if it becomes law. Democrats have described the bill as a tax cut for the rich, arguing that countless numbers of people will meet their demise if the Senate passes it and President Trump signs it into law. State-level Democratic politicians and several left-leaning journalists also predicted that thousands would die in the wake of the American Health Care Act's passage. Some even foresaw the deaths of millions. Free Beacon was kind enough to put together a montage of the fact that Republicans are going to kill everyone. Donald Trump and Republicans just celebrated voting to let thousands of Americans die so that billionaires get tax breaks. Is that really what you think is happening here? Do you think thousands of Americans will die? Absolutely. People are going to die if their bill ever became law. Essentially, producing policies are going to kill people. Thousands of Americans would die. People are going to die if that health care plan went through. There's no question that people will not only lose their health care, but many will lose their lives. You have seen uh, thousands of people die in your state. This will kill people. Why not just call it death to poor people? Maybe more people in the Freedom Caucus will actually support it then. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. In this instance, we're essentially going to be killing Peter to make sure that Paul gets his tax cut. This is killing Peter to pay Paul. To Paul Ryan has absolutely no morals when it comes to uh, what he hopes to bring in terms of health insurance. So this is a direct assault on working class people. Then yep. That's nothing but Jim Crow for health care. So I think uh, the old time of civility needs to go. I'm going to lose a lot of folks. People are going to die. Interestingly, the Republican um, health care plan is this. Die quickly. 
a far greater percentage of Democrats voted for the bill than did Republicans. Barely a majority of Republicans voted for it. All but 15 Democrats voted for it. And now they're out telling that the bill will kill people. Something odd about all this. You know where you don't want to end up? Uh, we have a new hospital. You do not want to end up in the hospital. Because if you end up in the hospital. Uh, we have a new hospital. That's Democrat Corinne Brown. Her trial, when she was asked last week where she got the $149,000 in cash deposits she made to her personal account, she said, quote, I had birthdays. I had Christmas. Sometimes I had boyfriends. Jurors are expected to hear closing arguments today in the Corinne Brown conspiracy slash fraud case. Last week, the former congresswoman took the stand and said that the $149,000 in cash deposits made to her personal bank were gifts. She said, I had birthdays. I had Christmas. Sometimes I had boyfriends. Prosecutors say Brown led a conspiracy to raise $800,000 for her charity, One Door for Education. They say the money instead was used to pay for lavish event, events held in her honor or her personal expenses. She's also accused of failing to pay taxes on the money. At one point during her testimony, Brown broke down on the stand. The episode began while Brown was under cross-examination by prosecutors who asked her to explain why Ronnie Simmons, her former chief of staff, deposited $3,000 in cash into her bank account, which prosecutors say came from the account of a fraudulent charity while she was traveling in California. He said, quote, if... She gave me any money, my assumption, uh, no, she said, if he gave me any money, my assumption that it was his money. Do you think I would do that? No, Corinne, we don't think you'd do that. Brown is charged with conspiracy, mail and wire fraud, filing false tax returns, filing false financial disclosure forms, and impeding the administration of tax laws. And that's unfortunate because nobody was a bigger Florida Gator fan than her. I rise today to congratulate my University of Florida football team for winning its second NCAA BS, BCS championship bowl game in the last three seasons. Go Gator. I want to congratulate the University of Florida not only for being the best academic school, but also the athletic school in the country. Their 24-14 victory over Oklahoma Sooners showed off team spirit, sportsmanship, and one of the best defense plays that I've seen. They held the team uh, the highest scoring offense to just 14 points. Go Gator. Lest you think that Coran Brown is harmless, a new VA Inspector General report finds that more than 100 veterans died while waiting for delayed care at a VA hospital in L.A. over a nine-month span in 2015. VA Secretary David Shulkin backed new legislation after facing difficulty firing a Houston-based VA employee who was caught watching pornography while with a patient. In March, the Republican House passed legislation that would expedite the process of firing VA employees who have put the lives of veterans at risk. Nearly half of the 225 veterans who died with open or pending consults between October, between August of 2015 and October of 2016, nearly half died while experiencing delays in receiving care. One of the facilities that came under fire 
was the VA facility in Florida. Corinne Brown was on the committee that was supposed to be investigating it, and she said there were no problems. We would later find out there were. But I did my reconnaissance in Florida. I can tell you we're doing fine in Florida. Uh, we have a new hospital in uh, Orlando soon, I hope. <laughs> I've been working on it. <laughs> uh, we have a wraparound in Gainesville. We have new cemeteries uh, in Florida. We serve over almost 600,000 veterans a year in Florida. So I can truly say I went and talked to various VA groups in Florida and not one single complaint because we are doing our job and that is what this committee is supposed to do. Make sure that the VA is doing what we committed to the other veterans. And let's forget the grandstanding because I've seen a lot of it. But I was here. Yes, we do have money for the veterans. But for years, it was just a talk. It was just a talk. But under this president, and when it, we had a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, we got the largest VA increase in the budget in the history of the United States. So we do have the money. But we got to know that we're not just talking the talk. We are walking the walk. Walk it, girl. Corinne Brown, after a Muslim, shot up the Pulse nightclub, a primarily gay nightclub outside Orlando, and in his 911 call claimed that he did it as a Muslim. She had this to say. This sends a message to the elected officials. We need to stop just talking about it. We need to make something happen. What, what do you want to be done? Well, first of all, why would one person be able to get off this many rounds? Yeah. I mean, it's something wrong with that. I want that. to ask you about this because this is going to prompt the gun debate. You it, know it will. It, it always does, and, and nothing ever happens. I had birthdays. I had Christmas. Sometimes I had boyfriends, she said. You're on the Michael Berry Show. What say you, sir? How you doing, Michael? Good. Man, I heard your show this morning, and I uh, I used to work with Mr. Williams. Oh yes, okay. The World War the 95 year old World War II veteran who turned 95 today. Yes, sir. And uh, just wanted to give you a visual of this man. You talking about the hardest working man, and he had to be in his 70s because this was back in the mid 90s. Yeah, he's 95 today. Yes, and uh, man, he. Uh, he always had the good stories. I mean, if you ever get a chance to sit down with this man, he could tell you stories. He just is just unbelievable. And uh, I, his name sounded familiar. And then when he said Laney Directional, uh, I worked there also. And man, it just all—it all came back. Well, he was—he was a call of the day, that's for sure. Thank you for that's sharing that, fella. We got a call this morning on our morning show. Um, Ramon said you're going to want to take this. It was his daughter. She said her dad is 95 today, and she had driven over to check on him. And he's a listener to the show, and he would love to talk to us. 
and uh, we had him on for a couple segments, and his name is Lyman Elon Williams. He goes by L.E. or Elon. He served in World War II. He was run over by a tank during that time, and boy, did he ever have some good stories. I tell you what, he had he he had his wherewithal, didn't he? He he had his wits about him, full faculties, quite impressive. Ninety-five years old, that was a treat to receive. Baby got back. An Arizona woman caught smuggling about forty-five thousand dollars worth of heroin, strapped to her booty, strapped to her booty. You know who? What it looks like. Uh, What's that woman's name that does the cell phone commercial, Ramon? She had the butt implants done. Too much butt. She's a real cute face, but way too much butt. She's always spilling her boobs out. No, no, not Eva Longoria. This girl's way curvier than that. Black girl. Big butt. She had she you can see over the last couple of years she had butt implants. And it's too much. Nicki Minaj, yes. This woman looks like Nicki Minaj. She has an outsized booty. U.S. Customs and Butter, Butter, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CPB, says last week a 47-year-old woman from Nogales, Arizona, attempted to cross into the U.S. via pedestrian lanes when officers spotted something suspicious. Her booty was a little too big. She was walking through the crowd without a wide-load escort in front of her. They stopped and checked. Too much junk in the trunk, Ramon. The woman had close to three pounds of heroin strapped to her ass. The amount was worth more than forty-five thousand dollars. Mm, mm, mm. That's some expensive ass right there, Ramon. Very much so. Charles Krauthammer says that I predict that in less than seven years we will be in a single payer. Healthcare system, and I would predict that in less than seven years we'll be in a single-payer system. I think that's the great irony of this. Obamacare failed at every level politically. The Democrats were crushed over six years and four elections, whereas you say they lost uh, seats in the House, the Senate, the governorships, etc., largely because of Obamacare. It failed on the ground, as was pointed out earlier. The insurers are in a death spiral. The, the uh, Obamacare uh, exchanges are collapsing. You've had these uh, these exchanges, these uh, community exchanges, completely disintegrating. But the irony is, in the end, I think Obamacare wins the day because it changed expectations. Look at the terms of the debate. Republicans are not arguing the free market anymore. They have sort of accepted the fact that the electorate sees health care as not just any commodity. It's not like purchasing a steak or a car. It's something that people now have a sense the government ought to guarantee. That's a right. Right. And because of that, the whole, even Republicans are trying to say, oh, we're not going to lose that many. Oh, yes, you'll be covered on uh, if you have a pre-existing condition. The terms of debate are entirely on the grounds of the liberal argument that everybody ought to so, have. So how do we get Once to... that happens, you're going to end up with a single-payer Well, I was going to say, how do you get... I'm sure you know, but a single-payer system is basically a government monopoly on the delivery of health care. You have to ask yourself how it could be that the health care system that the rest of the world, the richest people in the rest of the world, come to this country when they need health care. When Silvio Berlusconi, the billionaire leader at the time of Italy, 
needed critical health care. You came to the United States. You walked the medical center in uh, in Houston, one of the finest in the world. And you look at how many rich Saudis worth probably hundreds of millions of dollars are walking the hallway. How many rich Africans are walking in African garb because they can afford the best health care in the world. And they want the best health care in the world. And so where do they go? They come to the United States. A piece by Kevin Williamson. I won't read it all. It's posted to our website, but I did read it this morning in National Review, came out yesterday. The right to health care. There isn't one. With the American Health Care Act dominating the week's news, one conversation has been unavoidable. Someone, someone who pays attention to public policy, will suggest that we pursue policy X, Y, or Z, and someone else, someone who pays a little less careful attention, who probably watches a lot of cable television entertainment masquerading as news, responds, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that health care is a human right. What follows is a moment during which the second speaker visibly luxuriates in his display of empathy and virtue, which is, of course, the point of the exercise. It's kind of gross, but that's where we are politically as a country. Kevin Williamson continues in National Review. Here is a thought experiment. You have four children and three apples. You would like for everyone to have his own apple. You go to Congress and you successfully persuade the House and the Senate to endorse a joint resolution declaring that everyone has a right to an apple of his own. A ticker tape parade is held in your honor and you share your story with Oprah, after which you are invited to address the United Nations, which passes the International Convention on the Rights of These Four Kids in particular to an individual apple each. You are visited by the souls of Mohandas K. Gandhi and Mother Teresa, who beam down approvingly from a joint Hindu-Catholic cloud in heaven. Question, how many apples do you have? You have three apples, dummy. Three. You have four children. Each of those children has a congressionally endorsed, UN-approved, saint-ratified right to an apple of his own. But here's the thing. You have three apples and four children. Nothing has changed. Declaring a right in a scarce good is meaningless. It is a rhetorical gesture without any application to the events and conundrums of the real world. Healthcare is physical, not metaphysical. It consists of goods such as penicillin and heart stents and services such as oncological attention and radiological expertise. Even if we entirely eliminated money from the equation, conscripting doctors into service and nationalizing the pharmaceutical factories, the basic economic question would remain. We tend to retreat into cheap moralizing when the economic realities become uncomfortable for us. No matter the health care model you choose, British-style public monopoly or Swiss-style subsidized insurance or pure market capitalism, you end up with rationing. Markets ration through prices. Bureaucracies ration. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ration through politics. Price rationing is pretty straightforward. Think of Jesse James and his pay up sucker tattoo on his palm. Political rationing is a little different. Sometimes it happens through waiting lists and the like. And sometimes it's just a question of money and clout. 
American progressives love the Western European medical model, but when Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi needed a pacemaker, he came to the U.S. to have it implanted. Rich people always get better stuff. That's what it means to be rich. And money is only one resource. Political connections matter enormously in some places, as might a good family name or employment in a powerful firm. If you live in one of the poorer corners of the world, you may have free health care, meaning that if you become infected with AIDS, you will get a free aspirin. And there you have it. Jesse Jackson Jr. said on the floor of the House that everyone has a right to health care. He later went to prison. More Michael Berry Show coming up. Someday, when I'm awfully low, when the world is cold, I will feel a glow. Just Mike, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Now, well, I, is, it, is this I the same you... Mike who usually calls and when you don't like my answers hangs up? You always inaccurately describe our interaction, Mike. I don't hang up. I'm willing to have a conversation with you. But don't do me any favors, but go ahead. Well, I heard your comment about the rich people from around the world coming here for medical care when they need it. Yes. Well, doesn't that kind of throw the covers back on the whole dilemma that we face? Yes, it's the best in the world, but it's accessible only if you're rich. Not necessarily. Issue? Not necessarily, but significantly, to a significant, predominant degree. No, not not true at all. It's an economic a matter of access, limited because of funds. No, only at the top level, only the most advanced procedures. Only the most advanced. Yeah, so let, let me give you an example. Uh, Silvio Berlusconi didn't need to come to the United States to get a flu shot. He didn't need to come to the United States when he has a common cold, only when he needed an advanced medical procedure. Okay, but we're not talking about uh, the brouhaha isn't over really whether I can get a flu shot. It's whether I can get medical care for my diabetes, heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that, that statement identifies what we face here. Access for the rich, limited to no access for everybody else. Not true. Okay. We'll agree to disagree on that. Well, no, there, there's no agreeing to disagree. It, it, it's simply not true. You can have your own opinions. You can't have your own facts. Let me say okay. this. More people from around the world buy nice homes in the United States than buy them anywhere else. The Chinese, the Japanese, Africans, Europeans, they come here, they buy nice homes because we build exquisite homes. That doesn't mean that most Americans don't have homes. It means that we do advanced homes 
in a great fashion. We're also politically more stable and have a lower personal income tax uh, level than most countries. We're also safer than most countries. We also have a place you can park your money because we have a stable Fed and we have a stable economy now. And we have, in line with that, the most expensive health care system on the globe. Is that true? Yes, it's magnificent, but it costs so damn much, we spend decades fighting about it. Okay, how would you like the installation of pacemakers to be cheaper? I can't answer that. Of course you can't. I can't, can't. Right. You, you, I you can't, can't answer. answer anything, but what you can do is complain. Mike, I'm not complaining. I'm just questioning the way you put that statement out there. The rich come here for great medical care. Correct. But the people who live here struggle, but fight to get access to that system that offers this great medical care. Well, that's, that's because you're what? talking about the most advanced health care. Mike, there's no, no way I'm possible to provide are. heart tra- you, you, you want me to? No, Mike, Mike, see, this is where we always break down is you make your statement and I wait patiently and then I respond and you get frustrated because I respond with facts and reasoning and you respond with some five-year-old's childish, immature, everybody deserves a heart transplant. Mike, I'm prepared to say that which you think I'm afraid to say, and that is everybody doesn't deserve a heart transplant. I read you the article by Kevin Williamson. Economics is the allocation of scarce resources. Somebody has to decide if we have a limited number of heart transplants, and we do. Mike, we don't simply get to will that there will be more apples. We don't simply get to will that there will be more heart transplants. We're talking about the most advanced medical treatment in the world. If it was easy, everybody in the world could do it. It's not easy. It is a limited resource. When you have a limited resource, somebody has to determine who gets that limited resource. In your mind, everybody gets a heart transplant. Because if everybody doesn't get a heart transplant, then it's evil and awful. It's not fair. Well, life's not fair. The world is not fair. But I know that we've made more advancements in this country in pursuit of the profit motive to drive down the cost of most of this medical care such that there is greater advanced medical care in the United States than there is anywhere else. That's a fact. The problem is that people like you equate countries like Cuba or Canada with delivering health care to everyone. That's not health care. That's an aspirin and a prescription for a basic antibiotic and go on your way after waiting six hours out in the lobby. The reality is we ration cars, we ration homes, we ration food, and we ration health care because there is not an unlimited amount of any of those things. You cannot force individuals to deliver a high level of health care like we deliver in the United States on your budget. They refuse to do it. They'll find another way to occupy their time. If you impose a health, a, a, a profit mo- a motive, you will find that individuals will pursue that profit motive. And it's not only in the delivery of care. It's in the innovation of equipment. A stand-up MRI, for instance. A new form of, as a company here in Clear Lake is doing right now, a new form of wireless heart uh, uh, implant, 
I have in my chest right now a, an atrial defib, an atrial defib regulator that when I go to bed every night, I lay down and it sends the information to my doctor. If I'm having an atrial fibrillation, if my heart is beating um, uh, off beat, if there are problems with that, it notifies him and he picks up the phone and calls. It costs me a lot of money to have that put in. Anytime you're a stroke victim, you're at a higher risk for atrial uh, fibrillation. I made a purchase of that. I paid for that, and I pay a lot more for health insurance. But guess what? I also probably eat a nicer steak than you do every night. I drive a most more expensive vehicle. I have more homes, and I pay more to send my kids to school. Are those things awful? No. Go make more money, and you'll have better services. You can't sit around and complain outside the steakhouse that you were stuck eating McDonald's. There are a limited number of nice steaks. L is for the way you look at me. Mike. O is for the only Mike. one. Mike. You waited so patiently. I, I had to go to break. I wanted to give you a chance uninterrupted to respond. Oh, well, gee, thanks. I, well, I thought it was a gracious act, to be honest with you. Yeah. I was almost starting to think you were all right, Mike. I listened to your show. I like some of the things you do, but the way you the way you conduct a debate or anything like a debate is, well, you've got the bully, pull, pull, bully pulpit. But I think you're, you're overlooking the impact of the prop, that the profit motive has had on the medical industry. And there's no denying that the cost is absorbent. Is and what? to compare luxury houses uh, marketplace to the medical industry, to me, is an apple, to, to medical care, is an apple's and oranges comparison. Why? It's not appropriate. Why? Because, one, I don't have to live in a luxury house. But to have an opportunity to be my best, be at my best, to thrive in this world, I need to be healthy. No, you don't. But, Mike, let me ask you this. Don't we do the same thing with our criminal justice system? We give, we give you a basic criminal defense attorney if you can't afford your own. But if you want Dick DeGaron, you got to pay for it. You give me a, a, a criminal defense attorney a, attorney that is going to land me behind bars in many cases, so there's nothing equitable about it. You're saying that in life nothing has to be fair, nothing has to be equitable. And you're saying equity in health care is something we should not strive for. Correct. And absolutely I, true. Yeah, that is abs- I absolutely believe that. I don't agree with you on that. You don't have to. My, my, my right to be healthy is equal to anybody else. There is no right to be healthy, Mike. I wish you wouldn't use legal terms that you don't understand. You don't have a right to be healthy. Start Just there. Just because I have a different opinion of what a right is doesn't mean it's wrong. 
it's your opinion that my that my definition is wrong. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means you don't agree with it because we're coming at this from different perspectives. Right is a legal term you don't understand. Right is a legal term that I don't understand. Right. Okay. A right <laughs> is enforceable in a court of law. You don't have said right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what does that mean? I mean, is look, th- there are opinions. I can like blue, you can like red. I can like Tom Brady, you can like Magic Johnson. But you cannot tell me that you have a right to health, to, to quality health care or to the best health care. It's not true. These are constitutional issues. These are legal issues. They, that, that's not open for discussion. I can tell you, you don't, believe, you don't have to believe me, just like I don't believe, I don't agree with your opinion. So I, you can't tell me what I can't tell you. I just told you. My right, I have a do right. Do you have to a right to the best is, criminal defense attorney, or do you have a right only to a court-appointed attorney? Well, since it's been legally determined that it's the latter, I have a right to a court-appointed attorney. Mm. Then that's what I'm. What I have. But don't you think? Don't you think we should say that every criminal defendant, whether they can afford it or not, should should get to be represented without regard to how much time the best criminal the, the best uh, criminal defense attorneys have? That every defendant should get the best criminal defense attorney that that America has to offer. I mean, shouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't they have a right to the best? Why would they be stuck with some overworked? Uh, court-appointed attorney. Shouldn't we require the top lawyers that make millions per year that they be required to represent every single criminal defense attorney? I mean, criminal criminal defendant. I don't necessarily have to have the best of everything, but just like Mr. Berlusconi can come here for uh, what was it, a pacemaker insertion or whatever, in this country, people often don't have the means access to low-level pacemaker insertion because of the expense. Forget Not about true. The you don't bed. know anything about Forget Medicare or Medicaid. Mike, you don't Forget know anything. You, what you know Mike, is that you don't hey, think this country... Now, Mike, here's the problem. Again, you've not learned the basic decorum of you speak, I speak, you speak, I speak. I don't interrupt you, Mike. I think part of your problem is you get angry and then you just start talking because the world is a cruel place to you and you want to make it right. And I got that. I got that. What you want to say is everything is unfair to me. Everything is unfair to everyone. But those things aren't true because if you would actually listen to what I'm saying, I'm explaining to you that the delivery of health care services is very similar to the delivery of, of criminal defense services. You've got the top criminal defense attorneys in the country, and they have, the way the rest of us do, a limited number of hours in which they can work preparing a case and presenting a case. And it would be just as ridiculous to require that every criminal defense attorney, the best criminal defense attorneys, provide their services on demand, government dictate, to every criminal defendant out there because we'd very quickly run out of their time. We'd run out of their time. So how do we ration the scarce time of the best criminal defense attorneys? The same way we ration the stakes at the best steakhouse. The same way that we ration the most expensive automobiles. The same way that we ration the most expensive uh, uh, homes. You ration goods or services on the basis of supply and demand and the price that is established for that. 
everyone is eligible for the best medical care that America has to offer. Everyone is eligible to the extent that they're willing to pay for it. If they're not able to pay for it, they're not eligible for it. Well, that's not fair, Michael. Everybody ought to be able to get heart transplants. Okay. Well, now what you're saying is that we're not going to ration on the basis of payment. We're going to ration on the basis of a dictator, one form or another, whether it's Gruber or Obama or Susan Rice or Sheila Jackson Lee. Somebody is going to determine who gets this scarce resource. We simply cannot provide this scarce resource to every single person. That's what makes it scarce. The marketplace determines. But you know what you also don't understand, and I would urge you, I know you won't, you should go and understand Medicare and Medicaid. You should go and understand what health care is currently delivered to individuals who cannot afford by some standard. That's always a game people play. Mike, somehow I thought this this would be relevant to you, and I offer it in, in the spirit of kindness. The Daily Telegraph reports, apparently picking your nose and eating it is good for your health. It might, might be wise to look away if you're eating or have a weak stomach, but scientists have discovered that ingesting boogers is good for teeth and overall health. Scientists at a number of universities, including Harvard and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, say parents should not discourage their children from picking their noses because they contain, quote, a rich reservoir of good bacteria. Eating snot can also prevent bacteria from sticking to teeth, according to the article published in the Journal of the American Society for Microbiology. The findings even suggest snot may defend against respiratory infections, stomach ulcers, and even HIV. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.